Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Ready to elevate your home? Picture this. Central heating, a cozy fireplace, or your dream walk-in closet. Build a backyard oasis, go green with solar panels, or start a business. It's all possible with Figure's home equity line of credit. Unlock up to $400,000. Apply online in five minutes. Funding in as little as five days. Head to figure.com and transform your home. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. It's the Tom Hartman Program. And, <clears throat> excuse me, our first hour today is, uh, as uh, typically on Wednesday, Congressman Mark Pocan. Uh, middays with Mark, taking your calls for the hour at 202-808-9925. Congressman Pocan represents the 2nd District of Wisconsin. He is the co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, Pocan.house.gov is the website. You can tweet him at Rep. Mark Pocan. Congressman, welcome back to the program. Hey, thanks, Tom. Glad to be here. Great to have you with us. So the uh, the bank bill, uh, this uh, let's deregulate the banks and take us back to uh, close to where we were in 2007, so that the banksters can run off with all the profits again and crash our economy. And and by the way, uh, this this is on the heels of the announcement. I believe it was yesterday, the day before, that the um, the biggest banks in America, the six biggest banks, just had their most profitable quarter, more profitable than they were during the Roaring Twenties, more profitable than they were in the Forties, Fifties, Sixties, Seventies, Eighties, Nineties. This is their most profitable quarter in history, and the Republicans said, "Hey," and thirty-three Democrats in the House said, "Hey, let's deregulate them." What what the hell's going on here? Forgive my yeah, French. I so uh, this is one where, um, you know, Elizabeth Warren, I, I think, deserves a lot of credit. She's taken on, I think, the face of this bill, especially after she stood up against some of her Senate Democratic colleagues who voted for it. I think 17 of them did. Uh, in our house, we had a little better in that uh, Leader Pelosi um, and Maxine Waters, who's ranking on financial services, both opposed this and asked people not to vote for it. We whipped against the bill from the Progressive Caucus. Uh, but, you know, at the end of the day, this is a bill that's a, a giant wet kiss to Wall Street. Uh, you know, I think legitimately there are some uh, credit unions and community banks uh, that some of the regulations uh, could be uh, looked at differently than are currently in place. But what this bill does is none of that. Uh, it goes far farther. Uh, and 25 of the 38 largest banks in the country are now considered uh, to have uh, less regulation uh, because of this bill, basically raising the standard from $50 billion to $250 billion to be a smaller bank. Uh, just these banks alone have about $3.5 trillion in assets, about one-sixth of all the money that's out there in the banking sector. Uh, and um, these banks also took about $47 billion in assistance uh, during the 2008 crash. So uh, to say that these are the smaller partners is really uh, a leap. This is really about uh, rolling back Dodd-Frank protections. And there's some other important things in there, like the information that we collected around um, uh, you know, history of, 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 don't, of <coughs> getting loans. The Home Mortgage Disclosure Act uh, portion has been rolled back for all these banks. And that's how we actually know if people are discriminating and doing some of the practices that were really bad previously. So there's a whole bunch of bad things in this bill. Uh, it's going to the president's desk. Uh, he is going to sign it. Wall Street will uh, stop champagne corks. Uh, but unfortunately, it, it didn't really um, help the consumer at all. And, you know, if they really wanted to fix something for small credit unions and community banks, we could have done something. This just completely blew a hole in Dodd-Frank for, you know, like I said, 25 of the 38 biggest banks. How does this bill harm communities of color? Um, so it's how we collect information. There was a lot of uh, redlining and other things done on how uh, people were making loans uh, during right before, leading into the crisis. And uh, out of Dodd-Frank, we collected more data on who they're talking to and who they're turning down and why they're turning down and things. 
Now it's taking away all that data. So basically, you're opening the door to uh, allow discrimination again. And this is something that, you know, for the 33 Democrats in the House and the 17 in the Senate who voted for, uh, they should be ashamed of themselves because this is something that I think was one of the more important provisions that we had out there to make sure that some people weren't just getting access and some people weren't when it comes to uh, loans and financial services. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. Um, Leslie Stahl made a comment uh, yesterday or day before at a, uh, I think it was a PBS forum, and uh, it was pretty shocking. I'm I'm assuming you saw that. Yeah, you know, and it didn't get as much attention as um, I I had hoped it would have because it's something I think we all know, but to actually hear it that the president said it um, means all the more. So when she did an interview with him, the president said, I'll read what she's saying his comments were, as he said, his quote, you know why I do it? Uh, talking about why he goes after the media. He said, you know why I do it? I do it to discredit you all and demean you all so that when you write negative stories about me, no one will believe you. And it's right from video. This is what he said. And, you know, that is exactly what he's been doing with the fake news, right? They've done this orchestrated campaign because he, he knows of many of the things he does are outright lies or they're wrong for other reasons. And he doesn't want to have an objective third-party source, the media, uh, to be able to point that out. So he's made a, a campaign and attack against them from the very beginning, from the campaign onward. And you know, this is scary. I'm a journalism major. You know, I mean, this is something that we, as institutions, as a democracy, you need to have that objective source. And what he's doing is basically, it's very Putin-like, it's very North Korea-like, right? And uh, I think the fact that there's, you know, some video and, and that yeah, this is now coming out, that people are realizing, I'm hoping it has an impact, although... Um, as you know, 35% of the people, nothing seems to have an impact. Well, this is also, uh, you know, it, it, Viktor Orban in, in Hungary, uh, Duterte in the Philippines, right. Erdogan in Turkey. I mean, this is a growing trend all over the world of authoritarian regimes trashing the press. Uh, it, it, this is really, really grim stuff. And, and it and it's benefits the billionaire-owned right-wing media, the Mercers, the billionaire Mercers supporting Breitbart, uh, you know, pr- bringing it back from life support, billionaire Rupert Murdoch with Fox so-called news, uh, the billionaires who own the, the two big radio uh, uh, station uh, conglomerates or whatever you call them, uh, you know, uh, owned by billionaires. Uh, and, and, and at the same time, it diminishes the credibility of all the non-billionaire owned media or, or just all the rest of the media, I guess. And, and it seems to me that that's probably why Fox and right-wing hate radio are so enthusiastic, and, and Breitbart are so enthusiastically embracing this. If the billionaire, if the right-wing, hardcore right-wing billionaire class can cause us to think that if something shows up in the news, that it may well be a lie if it's not on Fox or Breitbart, which carefully curate their content and never, never uh, trash billionaires or giant corporations that are committing crimes, um, then, then they, I mean, you know, who, who, the, whoever controls the media controls the country ultimately. I mean, this this could be, you know, in, in the in the in the George Orwell sense, the 1984 sense, this could well be the beginning of the end of democracy in America. Or uh, am I? Do you think I'm overstating this? No, you know, and, and I'll I'll admit I'm maybe a bit biased because I was a journalism school major coming out of college. But I, I have respect for that institution because it's part of why we have a democracy, a vibrant democracy. Is you know, people participate through the electoral process. Uh, you've got uh, an independent place to check on facts, so it's not like you're waiting for some supreme leader to tell you uh, what a fact is. And it appears that Donald Trump wants to go back to being the supreme leader who tells us what a fact is, uh, like in a lot of other uh, third world uh, and, and other authoritarian countries. So, you know, um, I, I do find great concern, and that's why, you know, I, I, I think pe- more people need to talk about this. There are all the other stuff that's out there. Uh, this is really been a very organized, devious, uh, brilliant strategy on behalf of Donald Trump and the right wing. Yeah. And the, the last thing I wanted to get to, Ben, then we're going to hit a break and we'll start picking up calls because people are just now starting to call in. Um, yesterday in Georgia, in the Georgia primary, the Democratic primary, I thought this was fascinating because we had Stacey Evans, as I recall her name is, who was uh, supported by the Democratic establishment, essentially. Uh, you had Stacey Abrams, who was a Bernie progressive, essentially. Uh, she, you know, she didn't bind herself to Bernie, but all her positions were identical, or most of them, the vast majority of them, you know, free health care, uh, Medicare, uh, Medicare for all, free college, all this kind of stuff. And and what I thought was, and, and uh, you know, Stacey Abrams won that walking away, like 73 to 20-something. But 
what really struck me a couple of days ago was that uh, Hillary Clinton endorsed Stacey Abrams, the very progressive candidate. I think that even the, the, the so-called establishment Democrats um, are getting it that this is how to win elections, is to go back to the FDR roots of the party. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, we've, we've seen in the last several weeks, it's been, you know, progressives are winning in these primaries, but it's, they're winning because not just because it's a Democratic primary, because there are superior candidates, and they're talking about issues that resonate beyond just a Democratic primary base. I had a chance to meet um, Stacey Abrams a few weeks ago when I was in Atlanta. Uh, she's an amazing candidate. You know, this is a race that should get national attention because we have a chance to elect the first uh, African-American female governor of any state, but, but also she's just a solid great progressive in a state that's, uh, you know, emerging to be more and more blue. Uh, this is something that should capture national attention because, let, let's face it, things aren't happening at the federal government in a useful way right now. We can see successes in our states and our local communities. And the more governors we have that can be those laboratories uh, for democracy, when we get full, uh, control of the federal government again, we can get these things done. Yeah, amen. Congressman Mark Pocan with us for the hour, taking your calls. It's Middays with Mark on the Tom Harbin program. His website, pocan.house.gov. You can tweet him at Rep. Mark Pocan. We will be back with more of your calls for Congressman Pocan in just a moment. It's coming up on 17 minutes past the hour. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Middays with Mark, the co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, representing Wisconsin's 2nd District, Congressman Mark Pocan. Your questions for the congressman after this. And welcome back. Bob, watching Free Speech TV in Tahlequah, Oklahoma. Bob, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Thanks, Tom. Keep getting well. Congressman, glad you're there. I'm going to be straight to the point as fast as I can. The media doesn't cover what's going on in a lot of parts of the country right now, what people are doing to keep their little economies alive in their own necks of the woods. You know what I'm talking about? It's cannabis. The farmer can't grow a field of cannabis, but a guy can grow a house full of marijuana. And whether it's legal or illegal, it's going on all over the country. You're not doing anything in Washington, D.C., that we can see or hear on the air that is protecting us from the Jeff Sessions Jim Crow Society or the corporate society that Republican representatives around here represent. They don't represent the people. They don't represent the Indian people, the black people, the white people, the farmers, the women, the children. They don't represent homegrown food, slow-grown food, small business. And they don't like marijuana smokers. And most people do. So how is the Democratic Party going to deal with this if it can't keep Monsanto off the farms? Your response? Thank you, Bob. Yeah, so, so, Bob, I think you're asking me about um, where the Democrats are in marijuana. I'm, hopefully I, I got your question correct. I apologize if I don't. Uh, so I think I recently saw, you know, Chuck Schumer made some very positive comments uh, on this. I can tell you, you know, when you look at the legislation that comes to Congress, there are a few Republicans, especially in states like California, who've been supportive. But there's a lot of more Democrats uh, and a growing number every day in support. And you know, even some of our moderate to conservative Democrats, if they come from a state they can see, uh, as you've, I think, stated, Bob, that they're, you know, this is good for the economy. It's a personal choice thing. Uh, we can have a better uh, way to regulate it in a safe, legal environment uh, when you have, that, uh, have it legal in the states. And I think that is a growing movement. Even in Wisconsin, um, you know, we recently had our Attorney General Brad Schimmel, who you know, uh, thinks he's reliving the 50s as far as his policies go. You know, he tried to ban CBD oil production from uh, legally a legislature passed, a Republican legislature passed a bill to allow you to grow hemp. And uh, he had to turn back on his words because uh, he had so much opposition. And I believe every Democratic candidate for governor in Wisconsin is supporting marijuana legalization. So I think the, the good news is the people are with us. I think you're finding more of the elected officials with us. As I've said many times on the show, if the people lead, eventually the leaders will follow. So keep, keep leading, Bob. Yeah, that's a, that's a great one. Uh, uh, Congressman, we just have 43 seconds to the break. Not enough time to bring a caller on. Um, how is this moving through the House or Senate, if at all, or is this something that, you know, rescheduling pot at the very least so it's no longer a federal crime? Uh, you know, is, 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 do you see any movement in that? I mean, this is something that, you know, libertarians support, and, and Trump seems to be dancing to the tune of a lot of libertarian billionaires, although I'm guessing these billionaires' pot's probably not high up on their list. But, um, you know, what, what, do you, what do you expect to be happening here, and is, is there any sense of uh, forward motion at the federal level? Yeah. 
We haven't had a vote in a while, but when we had a vote a few years ago, I think it was pre-Paul Ryan, because since Paul Ryan, not much happens here. At least John Boehner got a couple things done every year. Um, on this, we were within a, a, two handfuls of votes of being a, a pro-marijuana majority in Congress, at least for as far as letting people take their investment for the banks that they make from marijuana business, etc. So I think within the next session, we would be in a pro-marijuana majority in Congress. That is great. Congressman Mark Pocan taking your calls for the hour. Middays with Mark here on the Tom Hartman Program. We'll be right back. minutes past the hour. Welcome back. It's Middays with Mark. Congressman Mark Pocan taking your calls. Norma in Woodbridge, Illinois. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Yes. Uh, uh, thank you for taking my call, Tom. And hi, Congressman Pocan. Hi, Norma. Uh, my uh, call uh, is, is about the meeting with Rob Rosenstein today. I, I don't see how Democrats can't be steaming and knocking on the door uh, in, in terms of this meeting, which it, to, to reveal information from an investigation, uh, uh, that's, that's illegal. And I don't see how the Democrats are inflamed right now. And, and, and Norma and, and, and Congressman, I'd like to add a question to that, too. And, sure. and I, I just recently learned that Devin Nunes was part of the Trump transition team. Um, I'm concerned, and maybe you don't want to address this as it's one of your colleagues, but I'm concerned that maybe his uh, multiple attempts to sabotage this investigation have much less to do with protecting Trump and much more to do with finding out if he himself is looking at going to jail. Yeah, I, I'll tell you, on Devin Nunez, um, let me answer that first time. I mean, I, I have no problem talking about Devin Nunez because he's an embarrassment to this institution. He makes um, it, it harder for this to be a functioning place. I mean, at one point, the Intelligence Committee still kind of rode above some of the partisanship here, and all he did is he brought the swamp in the front door, and, and it's now that committee is a joke, and he has been uh, as, as false a committee chair of that committee as anyone ever could be. So, you know, I'm hoping that people in California, even though it's a, a little bit stronger of a Republican district, realize this is a guy who needs to be thrown out because um, he's exactly what's wrong in Congress. Uh, specifically to Norma's question, Norma, so I just found out, too, the Senate Republicans weren't invited to that meeting, and now they're trying to get in there. This is becoming a bad sitcom as far as, you know, the White House, it's, you know, the way they do this and who they invite. And, but I agree with you, Norma. I've been following a lot of social media this morning, and people are far more upset than um, I, I would argue uh, Democratic leadership is, and they need to be far more outraged because uh, this is, you know, while I don't want to be Russia, 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 because I think the economy and healthcare and so many other issues are really um, what – people think about the most. In this particular case, you can't do this. And um, we need to have uh, the Democratic leadership stand up far more on this. Uh, but it is interesting that the Senate Republicans themselves also are trying to get into this meeting. Again, just another day at the circus. Yeah. Russ in Hickory Hills, Illinois, listening to WCPT. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Russ. Ah, yeah. Thank you, Mr. Pocan. I heard this morning that these guys, the Republicans, are going to rip out what's left of Dot Frank. I mean, I mean, there is going to be no oversight. If they got fifty trillion dollars in bad loans, they're going to there be no publication about it. They're going to cover it up now. They're going to go back to before uh, Obama when uh, Bush was running the uh, country, because they got nobody to know how bad the uh, economy is going to get. Because I'll tell you something now, Mr. Polkan, they had a poll out today. Ronald McDonald's up twelve points over Donald Trump as long as he's got a D, because that's how bad they take of this guy. Have you heard about ripping up Dodd-Frank totally? Yeah, well, I mean, this bill is, is a giant gutted hole to it, right? Because you've just made, of the 38 largest banks, now 25 of them are considered uh, smaller banks and have had a bunch of regulations from, uh, you know, fair lending practices uh, to uh, all the other regulatory provisions and protections that were in place with Dodd-Frank are now gone because the limit went from uh, $50 billion to $250 billion. That's one-sixth of all the banking economy. So it's a huge uh, amount of money. It's some really, really big banks, and it's a huge problem, and it's going to be signed into law, I think, perhaps even today by the president. Um, this is what could put us exactly back uh, where we were pre-2008. Keith in Portland, Oregon. We just have a minute to the break. Keith, got a real quick question for Congressman Pocan. Uh, yes, I just wanted to find out um, where exactly the House is on the um, passage of for the, um, preserving net neutrality. 
Great question, Keith. So right now we have a discharge petition, which is a way to force a vote on it. We need to get 218 signatures. I, I think virtually every Democrat will be on. I would, be, I would hope every single Democrat is on. The question is how many Republicans can we get to get to that 218 number? But uh, we need to have people call their, uh, their member of the House of Representatives and demand they do this, because I, I know people called us when the decision happened. But now that we've got it through the Senate, this is where we can get it done now. You need to put pressure on your member of Congress and make sure that they support uh, net neutrality and they have to sign the discharge petition so we can take a vote on it. And the phone number for that is 202-224-3121, 202-224-3121. And if you're not sure who your representative is, just give me your zip code and they'll connect you right to their office. Congressman Pocan is with us, Congressman Mark Pocan. It's Middays with Mark here on the Tom Hartman Program. And we'll be back with more of your calls for Congressman Pocan. You can find his website at pocan.house.gov. And you can tweet him at rep, as in representative rep Mark Pocan. We'll be right back. Welcome back to your media support group for We the People, the Tom Hartman program. It's Middays with Mark, Congressman Mark Pocan, taking your calls for the hour. And Gail in Antelope, California. Hey, Gail, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hi, good morning, you guys. Um, this is a question for Congressman Pocan. It's kind of a two-parter. I would like to know if, in your opinion, the actions of Devin Nunez, Mark Meadows, and Trey Gowdy, if their activities that they've been engaging in would rise to the level of obstruction of justice. And in the event it doesn't, and they don't end up being thrown in jail by Mark Mueller, and providing the Democrats take back the House in 2018, at that point I would like to know if Congress would be able to take any type of action to, like, censure or um, condemn what I deem to be their basically nefarious and treasonous activities. Yeah, Gail, uh, great question. So let me, if I can, I, I would break it out a little bit. So I think, one, Trey Gowdy's leaving, so he's going to be gone um, regardless. Uh, Mark Meadows is kind of the spokesperson for the Freedom Caucus, and I think their issues have been somewhat different than Devin Nunez. I think Devin Nunez um, has really proven to be like the um, prototype of what everything wrong could be in Congress if we're all in one person. Uh, we found Devin Nunez. And um, do I think that he's obstructed justice? I think we're going to find out through the investigation, but clearly much of what he's done has been seriously questionable. I mean, I think the classic one was when he jumped out of a car one night with a staff person. No one knew where he went. The next day, he suddenly got some information from someone he had to present to the White House. And two days later, we found out he went to the White House that night to get the information to bring to the White House. Like, to call him a clown uh, would probably be a better representation of how he's acted like uh, rather than a member of Congress. Well, that's an insult but to clowns. It's an insult to clowns. You're right, Tom. It is totally not fair. I, I don't mean Clowns are good people. Clowning. They're trying to make a living, you know? <laughs> there you go. David Nunez is... Uh, Really the worst of the worst here. Um, so, uh, so the second part, Gail, uh, should we take the majority? I think you would have some investigations on some of these other activities, and uh, hopefully you're going to beat Devin Nunez uh, in California in November. But if not, I think he is a very special, unique um, person in that I, I think the activities he's done have been extremely unbecoming of a member of Congress. Uh, Morris in Long Beach, California, listening on KPFK, the largest FM station in the country. Morris, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Well, good morning, gentlemen. Congressman, I'd like to ask you, what is your opinion of the Israeli boycott? And I'm of the opinion that if you don't read, you can't lead. What are the last three books that you've read, Mr. Congressman? And thank you, Tom. Sure. Uh, great questions, Morris. So um, I'm terrible at remembering names of books, so uh, I, I'm probably not going to be able to answer that question as well, but let me try to answer the first part. And um, also, uh, in the NDA authorization, the National Defense uh, Authorization Act that we have up this week, I had a couple of amendments around um, Gaza and the Middle East specifically. Uh, we were not made uh, ruled into order. Of course, they're not ruling much of any of these into order, um, but we are trying to get a report about what's going on. Is that going to have uh, an impact on uh, the U.S. or on Israel? Um, up to this point, I, uh, two years ago, I went to Israel and I went to uh, the West Bank, and I tried to get into Gaza and was denied access by the Israeli government. But I spent a lot of time uh, with folks in Palestine. And everywhere I asked the question about the, the movement to uh, do a boycott, and uh, it was very mixed. In fact, uh, most people thought it would hurt them economically more. So I have been reluctant uh, to look at that movement. Um, I am very aggressive uh, in saying that we need to uh, stop the expansion of settlements. That's not going to help us get to a two-state solution. I am concerned that when I was there a couple years ago, uh, Hamas, uh, wants a one-state solution. Netanyahu's government now wants a one-state solution. And I think that's the wrong direction because they're both doing it for very different ways that will not be uh, in the best interest of peace in that region. So 
Um, at this point, based on my conversations with people that we met repeatedly uh, in Palestine, uh, I am not supportive of that movement. However, uh, I want to be real clear what Israel is doing, especially in, in the situation of Gaza, I think is a boiling pot. And when it explodes, it is going to uh, have a lot of uh, spillover that's going to affect the United States. And that's why we have to pay far more attention. Uh, you cannot have every reaction be shooting live ammunition like they've been doing to people who are protesting. And uh, it, it's, it's a real mess right now, thanks to Donald Trump. Richard in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Richard, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Uh, hi, Congressman and Tom. Uh, thanks for taking my call. My question is, <clears throat> I, watch, or I watch the news, I read the news, and it seems like the Republican leadership does not care uh, what uh, Trump does and how low he stoops and whatever crimes he's done. What's your sense? I mean, what is it going to take? Are they, you know, uh, you have sort of an inside story of, you know, at, at what point is it going to take for them to say enough's enough? Yeah, I, uh, Richard, I mean, great question, because um, you know, a lot of the individual rank-and-file members you talk to, they express some similar concerns that we're expressing, and they're Republicans, because uh, Trump is doing things that are uh, in the disinterest of our nation, and, and they get it, but no one will speak out, and leadership has been what's disappointing. Uh, Paul Ryan, during the campaign, would stand up to, Paul, uh, to Donald Trump, and now uh, he rolls over and lets the president rub his belly. Uh, the, the problem is they know their fortunes are largely attached, they think, to the president. And if the president's doing well, they do well. If he's not doing well, at some point, by the time they catch it, it will probably be too late. And we're starting to see that by all these special elections around the country. But uh, if Paul Ryan had the guts, I think he would uh, speak out more and do his party a much better service, and we would have a much harder time uh, winning the majority in November. But uh, Paul Ryan, for whatever reason, has decided uh, that he's going to do absolutely anything the president wants, logical or not, legal or not. And uh, it's one of the reasons that he's been such a great disappointment as a speaker. Yeah. Although I'm, I'm guessing he's going to land a multi-million dollar job when he bails out. He's done so many, so many good things for so many uh, insanely profitable industries. I, I'm guessing he'll make 20 times his congressional salary as first year out. Yeah, no doubt. Congressman Mark Pocan taking your calls. Middays with Mark on the Tom Harbin program. And welcome back. Kirk in Ukiah, California. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Oh, hello. Good morning. Uh, <clears throat> thanks for taking my call. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, thank you again both for what you uh, do. Uh, Congressman Pokian, I have a question. Um, in the media, in the corporate media, we don't hear very much about the fact that uh, when I, your screener call, uh, answered my call, I had a hard time phrasing this, but uh, when they talk about uh, Obama's Justice Department investigating Trump, they make it sound as if Obama was doing something bad. But if there's enough evidence that they were colluding with the Russians, isn't that their job? Yeah, I, <laughs> um, <laughs> precisely, Kirk. Uh, you know, I think the, the best I saw today, I retweeted on my, um, on my political account, Evan McMullen, you know, a Republican, uh, put out this uh, in response to Donald Trump's uh, you know, claiming about them going after him, uh, Spygate. And he put, one, there's no deep state, only laws and those who uphold them. Two, you cooperated with Russia's attack and the collusion accusations against you are credible. Three, the FBI uses informants, not spies, in all investigations. And four, yes, we've never seen a spy scandal like this before. So I thought that was pretty good, so I retweeted it. Um, but, you know, this is Donald Trump's most recent way to try to make uh, his base look the other way and never try to uh, pay attention to what the fake news uh, are reporting, and this is his way to try to uh, provide that misdirection. And, yeah, that's what he told. Uh, I don't think he's going to succeed. It's what he told Leslie Stahl. Speaking of Leslie's, Leslie in Central Square, New York. You're on the air with Congressman Pope. Hi. Uh, it's always amazed me that the Democratic Party would put in the Defensive Authorization Act, which gives the president the right to take any person away and never see him again. And Obama kept right on signing it every year. Now you got a president in there that could really, really, really use it against people if there's any kind of disruption. This is terrible. There should be a bill in trying to get rid of it. Thoughts on the NDAA? Yeah, you know, that's what we're, we're taking up this week, uh, uh, Leslie, and uh, you know, we had introduced over 500 amendments, uh, Democrats and, and some Republicans, um, on the bill. They're taking very few of them. Uh, I don't know if you saw also, it's, it's a little bit inside baseball, but officially this week we've had more closed rules, which means you can't necessarily do the normal amendment process where members can have a stay on the floor of Congress uh, than any session ever 
uh, under Paul Ryan. And Paul Ryan back home brags he brought regular order back to Congress. This is the opposite, right? Uh, this is making us, again, not function, but Paul's really the reason why we don't function. And in this case, uh, the national defense bill, I'll vote against, many people vote against, but this is not an open process that's providing us any real debate that the nation deserves. Now, the, the Constitution, because the founders were so wary of a standing army during times of peace, the Constitution requires that every two years, uh, with the exception of the Navy, the Congress has to decide whether it even wants to have a military and to what extent it wants to be funded, literally every two years. That's the NDAA. Um, what, where do we go with this? What, has it just, this has just turned into a rubber stamp, has it not? Yeah, I mean, and, and this is all the more, you know, reason why, you know, if you look at November, if we have a different majority, you look at the amount of money that's spent the big defense contractors that could be going other places, uh, this is one of those changes we could actually have. Yeah, amen. Congressman Mark Pocan with us. We'll be back with more of your calls for the congressman right after this. Hey, I've got to tell you about the world's best chair. Most of us spend over 2,000 hours a year sitting in our office chairs, and if you have back problems or trouble concentrating throughout the day, there's a simple reason. You're sitting in the wrong chair. Take your chair, your style, and your productivity to the next level with an X chair. The X chair's unique anthropomorphic design and dynamic variable lumbar support cradle your body in a way you need to feel to believe. And a more comfortable posture means better concentration and much higher productivity. In fact, if you're a business owner, there's no better way to reward your top performers than giving them an X chair. And the X chair's sleek, modern style will upgrade the entire look of your office. Give yourself and your staff the gift that pays dividends five days a week, year-round. Feel and see the X chair difference by going to xchairtom.com right now. That's the letter X, chair, Tom, T-H-O-M, Dot com or call 1-844-4X-CHAIR. If you're not truly thrilled by the look and feel after 30 days, refer, return it for a full refund. Order today and save 100 bucks and get free shipping. If you go to xchairtom.com right now and enter the code TOM, T-H-O-M, you get a free footrest. That's xchairtom.com or call 1-844-X-CHAIR. We have one here. We love it. xchairtom.com. Pocan taking your calls for the hour here on the Tom Hartman program. It's Middays with Mark. He is the co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. And George in Atlanta, Georgia. George, thanks for listening to Sirius I'm here on the air with Congressman Pocan. Thanks, Tom. Congressman, taking my call. Congressman, I have a question. What do you think about the U.S. cutting ties with the Federal Reserve and bringing back gold as the, as the backing currency for the uh, U.S.? If if they did that, would it hurt the economy or would it help the economy? And also, the bonus question, will the progressive Democratic support NASA as the Speaker of the House? Thank you. I missed the name on that second question. I'm sorry. Uh, Nancy Pelosi. Oh, oh, okay. I got you. I got you. Um, I, to the first question, George, I'll, I'll be honest. I haven't put uh, a tremendous amount of thought to it, so I don't have an answer that I think that'd be worthy to offer right now. On the second question, uh, you know, I think what we're trying to do is be uh, laser focused on uh, November. You know, we need to pick up 24 seats to get the majority. Uh, you know, generally, I've said that there are 70 competitive districts in this country because of gerrymandering. We're actually running competitively in 110 right now. So we've got lots of possibilities. We're doing this. Uh, our first goal is to get the majority because I've seen the devastation that's happened since Republicans have been in control. And then we'll figure out the next steps at that point. But honestly, um, I think every, every time we look at a shiny object that's not getting past that November um, finish line uh, with elections across the country, uh, it takes us away from doing our very best to take back that majority. And I think that's where, as a progressive caucus, we've tried to focus our time. And, you know, should there be uh, a situation where we're back in the majority, uh, there's going to be at least one new leadership position. We're looking to make sure the progressives are going to be a part of that. We're having some conversations about that. Great. Jim in Orlando, West Virginia, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hello. Thank you, Mr. Harbin. Thank you, Mr. Pocan. Uh, you all helped save the benefits to 250,000 vets that the Trump administration and Republicans was getting ready to chop their legs out from under them, and you saved them. Now, we've got another very serious problem going on. The Koch brothers, Charlie and David Koch, are trying to destroy the VA hospitals. They're trying to shut them all down and make us go to private uh, positions. Now, this is not going to work because they do not know how to handle us. I'm a 71-year-old vet 
Vietnam veteran. I get my health care at the VA hospitals. Uh, they take very, very good care of me, and uh, they've, uh, I'd say, saved my life. So you hear these people saying the VA hospitals are no good. They don't know what they're talking about. So, Mr. Pecon, please, please stop these Koch brothers from uh, killing our VA hospitals. Their daddy was, a, I, I consider, a treason. He, he went to Russia and built them plants and and things that they used against the United States during the Cold War. That's how they made their trillions. They're, tra- they're traitors. Please help us, and thank you. Yeah. So, Jim, you're dead on that, uh, you know, the Koch brothers are behind this scheme to try to privatize the VA. You know, um, is every VA across the country the best facility? No. And that's why they have constant improvements to do that. Uh, the facilities in Wisconsin, especially in, in Madison in my district, is one of the, the best. We even do transplants and everything there. I get nothing but uh, positive uh, comments. And when the problem does bubble up, they're very responsive, and we, we can intercede at that point. But the answer is not to uh, try to privatize it, uh, but that's what the Koch brothers want. The good news is uh, a lot of veterans around the country, just like yourself, Jim, are saying the exact same thing to their members of Congress. And while there is some money that's gone to the CHOICE program uh, under the guise of uh, making sure that that care is accessible for veterans, even if you're not near a VA facility, we've been able to hold back uh, the widening of that program to a point that it really would be uh, getting closer to privatization. So thank you for what you're doing and all the other veterans. It's important you speak out and talk to your members of Congress and Senate about this. Nick in Yorkville, Illinois, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. We have two minutes to the end of the, uh, end of the hour. Okay, thanks, Tom. Thanks, Congressman Pocan. Love listening to you. Uh, my friend lives up in your district by the pig, uh, by the pick and save. It's uh, love the cheese area over there. Um, <laughs> but uh, real quick, so you know, we want to take the how you know, I, as you said, the, the momentum is to take take Congress. But if we if we don't if we take it and don't deliver anything, 2020 could be a disaster. And so, is there is there a potential that we may have to make a deal with the devil and uh, talk to Trump and? And say, you know, look, you can go down in history, look like the the Saskatchewan uh, uh, guy from Canada who ended up getting them. Tommy Douglas. There, you know. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, thanks a lot. Sure. Thanks, Nick. Hey, I, I think, you know, if, if we take the majority, the best chances in the House, if it's a big blue wave, we could also take back the Senate. But I think that may be just a little bit tougher. So no matter what, there's going to be potential other things that are going to make it hard to get some of our agenda down. I think what's important for us is to at least put those things out there, vote on them, show the public what the alternative is. Um, but at the same time, I'll give you one example on infrastructure. If Donald Trump really believes what he says on the top line of infrastructure, he has a terrible funding for how to do it, we would work with him, and we would find ways to put real money out there. Um, so I think you know, we're going to move anything forward that we need to that's good for the American people, but we're also going to show that contrast. And I think at the end of the day, um, when people get a chance to see that there is an alternative, that's going to be the most effective in us taking seats back in November. Congressman, what should we be looking for in the week coming up? So it's a week, at least on the House side, we're back in district. So I just would say uh, it's a great opportunity that if you want to have a face-to-face with your member of Congress, if they're maybe doing a town hall or doing some other public event, go and talk to them about uh, whatever you're watching most closely. And I would say make one of those issues to sign the discharge petition uh, on the net neutrality bill. Uh, let's make sure the Internet's free and open for everyone. So do you think that that's going to pass in the House, that, that uh, you know, net neutrality? Yeah, I'll tell you, based on, I had nearly 13,000 contacts against the decision in my district and zero for it. Based on that, I know that's what other members are getting. It should, but the telecom industry has got a lot of lobbyists and a lot of money, so uh, we have to fight that. People have to get in their members' faces and ask them to find that decision. Okay, yeah, they're spreading a lot of money around. Congressman Mark Pocan, thanks so much for being with us. Absolutely, thank you. Great talking to you. We'll be right back. is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. And on the line with us, our old friend, Mike Papantonio, America's lawyer. Uh, uh, Mike, welcome back to the program. And uh, Good to be here, Tom. Yeah. So what, uh, give me a, give me a uh, you know, what are you guys up to right now? It's, it's, uh, it seems to me that, that there's this, uh, uh, this opioid ad- epidemic that is just ravishing our country. And I know you guys have been working on some of those things as, as attorneys. What, what's the situation? Yeah, well, there, there, we're, one of the, we're one of the law firms that have been asked to be involved in the national litigation uh, up in Cleveland, Ohio, 
uh, where this is all. Um, and my focus is on the distributors, uh, distributors like McKesson, Amerisource, uh, Cardinal. See, all the attention right now is on the manufacturers, Purdue, but it's really the distributors that were the real pull pushers, uh, the real pill pushers. I, I, the, their conduct is, <laughs> is abhorrent. I mean, I've seen bad conduct over the years, but here they understood that they could make quick money by addicting a lot of people to the point now that we have... I think it's 170 people every day die in America because of uh, because of addiction to opioids, and it, it wasn't an accident uh, at, at all, Tom. As a matter of fact, when we start looking at the documents we're looking at right now, it was almost as if they once they saw that the epidemic was in place, they started internalizing the epidemic into their business plan. In other words, they started seeing pill mills that were popping up, and they would wait a year, two years to close to, to even participate in stopping their uh, their product from going to those pill mills, you know, there's situations where you would have two pharmacies that were no more than three blocks away, and they would sell nine million pills to each one of those pharmacies, and the, the population in the town would be 400, 500 people. So you, you, that is a pretty typical kind of story. If you look at West Virginia alone, there's 1.8 million people. They sold 800 million pills in that state alone. And so they knew what they were doing. I mean, they were, they were simply legitimized pill pushers. And now they're trying to blame it on, no, the doctors are responsible. The doctors weren't responsible. This, these companies phonied up literature to make the doctors, actually gave it to the doctors, pitched it to the doctors by their salespeople, telling those doctors that, uh, um, you know, this is a different kind of Oxycontin, this is a different kind of opioid, and people won't become addicted to it. So it's, it's an ugly story. The congressional hearings took place a couple of weeks ago. I actually testified in front of the, uh, uh, in front of the staff. I had a, a meeting with the staff members of that committee before, uh, before they, th those, those hearings took place. And fortunately, there were a couple of uh, representatives that did a very good job asking tough questions to these folks that believe they're bulletproof. You know, they had, uh, had, had, had four, uh, had four or five uh, CEOs there, you know, in their suits, didn't, you know, it's just another day of business. And they raised their hands and, and swore to tell the truth. I've read the congressional record. I've never seen so much perjury take place in one place. That's right. Except, except tobacco. I saw the same thing happen with the tobacco wars. Yeah. We're talking with Mike Papantonio, America's lawyer. He's the attorney. He's the host of Ring of Fire Radio. He is the host of of uh, his, uh, uh, I think it's America's Lawyers, the name of the TV show, right, on RTTV? Yeah. And, and uh, author of the new legal thriller, Law and Vengeance. It's a sequel to Law and Disorder, TROfire.com, the website. You can tweet him at Ring of Fire Radio. Uh, Pap, I was reading a kind of a history of this the other day, and, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but my recollection is that uh, OxyContin was brought to market in 1998, and at that point in time, we really didn't have an opiate epidemic in this country. Over the next few years, these guys came up with a, Purdue Pharmaceutical specifically, I guess it is, uh, came up with a very specific uh, way of getting, getting these pills out there by marketing them directly to doctors. And mm, yeah. as the evidence started coming in that addiction rates were skyrocketing, uh, what happened? Well, what happened was the, um, the distributors, uh, again, yes, Purdue manufactured it. But the distributors are the ones that made billions of dollars. I mean, McKesson is worth $330 billion, Tom. Who's McKesson? A lot, of, a lot of that happened because of, uh, really because of uh, their opioid business. And the same way with Cardinal. These are multi-billion dollar businesses. So we, we focus on Purdue, but it's really the distributors that are most responsible. They Look, Tom, they had salespeople on the ground. They had uh, A salesperson would be on 3rd Street in Huntington, West Virginia. There would be four pill mills on streets that were no more than uh, three or four miles from the distributor, from the salesperson. She would drive past those, those pill mills every day. And we have pictures of people standing outside the pill mills at eight o'clock in the morning in their pajamas waiting to get pills. The, the distributor would also see pill mills being closed down by the feds and by the local police. <clears throat> so they knew exactly what was happening. They were the ones supplying the pill mills. So to say, that, to have these CEOs appear in front of Congress and act like they're bulletproof and they've got clean hands was laughable. It was absolutely laughable. And so I'm, I'm the one that's along with a great team of trial lawyers that are going to be taking the depositions of these CEOs. And the deposition of these CEOs are going to look very different 
when we take their depositions than they did in these congressional hearings. Uh, I, I would recommend they lawyer up. Let me put it like that. Yeah. When you say pill mills, are you talking about basically doctor's offices that are prescribing to people who are actually in pain, but they're prescribing, you know, over-prescribing or prescribing medicines oh, yeah. that are way too strong? Or are you talking about, um, you know, I remember back when I was in high school, there was one doctor in town that everybody knew if you went to and you said, you know, I'm having a hard time staying awake in class, he'd write you a prescription for Dizoxin, which was the, that generation's version of methamphetamine. Yeah. And and uh, and all the girls I knew went, went to him for birth control pills, because this was back you know, in the 60s, and it was still, uh, you know, kind of sketchy. And, and you know, he was just a corrupt doctor. I mean, are, are we talking about bad docs, no, or are we no, talking about criminal enterprises? No, you're talking about criminal enterprises. We haven't sued for RICO. We, I've, sued, I've sued these companies for RICO. Uh, they had what they call an opioid express, Tom, that operated all the way from Massachusetts to, um, to uh, South Florida. And they, they, they understood that the, these distributors knew exactly how it would work. They would sell, they would sell uh, you know, six, six and a half million pills every year, say, for example, to a town where there were like 15,000 people. Well, they knew that the numbers were crazy. I mean, the numbers were staggering. I mean, 50, 60, 70 pills for every man. Man, woman, child, and so town. it wasn't just the people in that town who were taking those pills. No, it, they understood that it was part. It would, they could see the chain. You, if you look at a map and you looked at where they dumped, they, they first of all they would find areas where there's areas of despair, where there people are jobless, times are hard. They would look at how many these towns that had hosp. Anytime you see hospitals and a lot of pharmacies in a small town, you know there's probably economic problems in that area. They would actually go to those because it's an it's an it's an economic indicator. So they would go to these areas where there's despair, coal mine areas, places where they used to have steel manufacturing, uh, and that were closing down. They would they would center in those places, and there was actually an opioid express that operated all the way from uh, New York all the way down the East Coast, and people would make those drives. And the industry knew what was going on. They had heard the term opioid express many, many times. And it was actually set up to where they could stop town to town, and these, these third parties would just buy pills from these doctors at these pill mills and just spread them out all over the country. They're nothing. It was no, no no different than a cartel. I mean, you know, these weren't these weren't they they didn't look like Mexican cartel, but they were, and so they um, they just had this in place, and that was part. That's part of what we're going to show in trial. I'll be trying this. I'll be trying this case next year, Isn't probably right? uh, probably towards the end of next year. The new American drug cartel. And before we wrap this up, we're talking with Mike Pap Papantonio, America's lawyer. Um, where can people learn more about this on the internet? Well, the best thing I could recommend is that they read a book called Dreamland. It is a brilliant book, Tom. It is an absolute brilliant book. Uh, but if you just want some basic details, I mean, the, 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 it's literally all over the Internet now after the congressional hearings and where we're finding out, we're, we're making comparisons to what these folks testified to and what was the truth. It was, it's, it's, as I said, it's almost laughable. Remarkable. Mike Papantonio, attorney, host of Ring of Fire Radio, uh, his uh, TV program, America's Lawyer, author of the new legal thriller, Law and Vengeance. His uh, previous book is brilliant, too, Law and Disorder. They're, they're both great reads. If you like, you know, John Grisham-style novels, pick them up. Pick them up. Uh, T-R-O Fire, as in theringoffire.com. T-R-O Fire. Thank you, Pap. Pap. Thank you, Tom. This is the Tom Hartman Program. We'll be back with more of the news of the day and your calls right after this. is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. And, boy, what a day. Republican, this, this, this banking bill, I mean, you know, I mentioned I wanted to talk about the banking bill with you, and I, 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 I really do. This, this uh, after the crash, after 2008, 2007, 2008, after the great Bush crash, the Republican crash of the banking system, and, well, it wasn't entirely Republican. A lot of the deregulation happened uh, during the Clinton administration, although Republicans were largely in charge of Congress at that time, too. Uh, but, you know, there was, you know, Robert Rubin and all those, those guys who were hanging out with the Democrats, they were gung-ho for it. Deregulate banks, yeah. And apparently there are still some Democrats who are, like, gung-ho for, de de for deregulating banks. In fact, 33 of them. These House Democrats, uh, this, you know, these House Democrats, this is from an article in The Nation. Uh, these House Democrats, excuse me, over commondreams.org. 
These House Democrats just voted for a massive rollback of the Wall Street reforms enacted after the 2008 financial crash. Uh, if one of these is your representative, you might want to ask them why. I mean, maybe, maybe they have a good reason. I've not been able to find one, but maybe they had one. Uh, Barra of California, Bishop of Georgia, Carson of Indiana, these are all Democrats, Correa of California, Costa of California, Quaylar of Texas, Davis of Illinois, Delaney of Maryland, Foster of Illinois, Gonzalez of Texas, Gothheimer of New Jersey, Hastings of Florida, Himes of Connecticut, Kind of Wisconsin, Custer, Cooster, excuse me, of New Hampshire, Larson of Washington State, Lawson of Florida, Maloney of New York, Murphy of Florida, Noland of, boy, Rick Nolan voted for this thing? That's astonishing. Uh, Nolan of Minnesota, O'Halloran of Arizona, Peters of California, Peterson of Minnesota, Rice of New York, Rochester of Pennsylvania, Schneider of Illinois, Schrader of Oregon. Yeah, Kurt Schrader here in Oregon is kind of a, very much a corporate Democrat. Scott of Georgia, Sewell of Alabama, Sinema of Arizona, Sawizi of New York, Vasey of Texas, and Vila of Texas. Now, you know I'm not a big fan of the circular firing squad of sitting around complaining about Democrats. That said, when an actual vote happens, when people go on the record as saying, yes, I'm here with the banks instead of with the people, I think it's worth asking them why. And I guarantee you, none of these people will come on this program and explain why they voted this way. I can't guarantee that, but our, our experience in the past is that whenever there's been one of these controversial votes and we've asked people to come on the program, Democrats or Republicans, they do not want to go on the record. They don't want to talk about this. But if you're a constituent of one of these folks, and again, this isn't a vote the bums out of office kind of thing. It's a uh, let's let people know that we are paying attention. We want a, a country that works for all of us. And we want a country, I mean, it's not like the banks were desperately in need of help. They just finished their most profitable quarter in the history of the world. I mean, probably banks in the Roman Empire weren't as profitable as banks are right now. And we're bailing them out or, or we're, you know, we're, we're setting up the next bailout for the next time that they, they do their reckless and excessive greed shtick. This was called the Economic Growth Regulatory Relief and Consumer Protection Act. And it's going to do nothing for economic growth. It, it, relief is the wrong word to associate with regulatory. It's deregulation. It is blowing away consumer protections and blowing away protections of the United States. You recall that when Bush crashed the economy in 2007, the Fed loaned out $27 trillion. We created, the GDP of the United States is $15 trillion. We created almost two years worth of GDP cash out of thin air and loaned it to, to billionaires in, 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 in Eastern European countries, to Deutsche Bank, to billionaires here in the United States, to the big banks, to giant corporations, uh, you know, uh, GM Financial, General Electric, you know, all, company after company after company got bailouts from the Fed. We didn't even know about it for a couple of years until uh, Ron, Ron Paul, or Ran, yeah, Ron Paul, back when he was in the House, and Bernie Sanders got together and passed uh, a rider to Think of my, it was either the, an omnibus bill, an omnibus budget bill, or it was the uh, NDAA that required a one-year audit of the Fed for 2008. And that's when we discovered all, you know, all, all these shenanigans. And this is certainly not consumer protection. This is the opposite of consumer protection. So, you know, something, something to know about. Another, uh, this is something that I think is actually very positive. Progressive, the headline, uh, this is from the United Press International, UPI, uh, by Sarah Shayanian. Progressive groups launch six-figure campaign to break up Facebook. A collection of left-wing groups launched a movement Monday called Freedom from Facebook, which calls for the federal government to break up the social media giant. The groups, the Content Creators Coalition, Demand Progress, Open Market Institute, demand, uh, Some of Us, and Move On, announced a six-figure digital advertising offensive to demand that the Federal Trade Commission break up Facebook and their subsidiaries, Instagram, WhatsApp, and Messenger. This is one of the ways, by the way, that giant companies absolutely nail down their market dominance and keep small competitors out. It's, it's a massive barrier to entry into the marketplace. And that is by, they do one of two things. They either buy out their competitors or they buy out new technology that could be used to enhance their product. 
which is what Facebook did with WhatsApp, Instagram, and Messenger. Or uh, they simply integrate those features into their product, which is something Microsoft and Apple have been doing for years and years. Every time somebody comes out with a really cool little app that lets you, um, you know, do something, uh, Microsoft or Apple will simply build it into their operating system, and boom, that company's out of business. Now, I'm not saying they should be prevented from doing that, but there are reasonable limits on these kinds of things. The uh, group, the coalition, said the five members of the Federal Trade Commission can make Facebook safe for our democracy by breaking it up, giving us the freedom to uh, communicate across networks, and protecting our privacy. The freedom to communicate across networks is pretty important. You know, if you're on Facebook and you see something that you want to share with somebody, you can't do it. It's a closed little universe. You're stuck inside Facebook, and that's by intent. The Alliance says it plans to run ads with messages like Facebook keeps violating your privacy, break it up, and Mark Zuckerberg has a scary amount of power. We need to take it back. It's remarkable stuff. I think Facebook actually, I mean, you know, when AT&T got broken up into six companies, Five Baby Bells and Lucent Labs, uh, Lucent Technologies, Bell, what used to be called Bell Labs, there was actually an increase in shareholder value. If you owned AT&T stock and that stock got replaced with the stock of these six new companies, you actually made out well from that. And it produced an explosion of innovation. After, after AT&T got broken up, it, it, just an explosion of innovation that, that led to the cellular explosion and the Internet. And I believe that putting some reasonable limits on the size of Facebook, you know, I'm not talking about killing the company by any stretch of the imagination, but putting some reasonable limits on it. And, and another, a similar, uh, would be a good thing for Facebook. I think it would be a good thing for Facebook stockholders, and it would certainly be a good thing for its users. And it's not going to diminish Mark Zuckerberg's billions and, uh, you know, the hundreds of millions and billions of dollars that his buddies have made off this thing. Another really interesting thing around uh, the Internet and privacy is a suggestion which is growing, which is that no company, whether it's Google or Facebook or, I mean, you know, there's, there's dozens of others, that no company can keep your private information for more than six months. You know, if, if you shoplift and you don't get caught, there's a, a uh, statute of limitations. After a certain number of years, it varies from state to state, but after a certain number of years, you can't be prosecuted. Heck, if you rob a bank in some states, there's a statute of limitations. I think pretty much the only crime for which there is no statute of limitations is murder, uh, which is, in my opinion, entirely appropriate that there not be a statute of limitations for murder. But why not put a statute of limitations on how long they can, they can have, own, lock up, and exploit our browser histories, our search histories, our, you know, what we say to people in our emails, what we say in our messages on Messenger and uh, instant, you know, text messages and things like that. What about a six-month expiration date? And it can be a rolling date, so they've always got enough recent information that they can, that they can say, oh, well, you're a big fan of dogs, so you're, you know, we're going to deliver the dog ads to you. I don't have a problem with that. But six months sounds reasonable. It's Viagra for your brain, the Tom Hartman program, but does not lead to, lead to stiff thinking. Uh, Steve in North Troy, Vermont. Hey, Steve, gr uh, greetings to the home of the Northern Lights. Oh, greetings, Tom. Thank you very much. I, I think we're, uh, we might have missed one of the biggest stories of the century recently. It just came out, that, uh, and, and there was only a blurb on Forbes and uh, in NPR, well, and this uh, professor in, um, in Michigan that the uh, Pentagon cannot count for $29 trillion lost uh, from 98 to, like, 2016. Wait a minute. 29 trillion? I mean, the, the gross domestic product of the United States is only $15 trillion. The U.S. budget is only $3 trillion. How could you lose $29 trillion over a 20-year period? You've you got to look it up, Tom. It, it's out on the net. Like I said, NPR had a little blurb about it, and this guy, in, uh, it, the professor in Michigan, had brought it to light, and uh, it, it got a little bit of coverage, but nobody's touching this one, and uh, a lot of people think it's for black ops and stuff like that, but it's a hole. I mean, they don't know. I, I mean, it, wow. even their, their IG's report, which it was based on, the IG said that they couldn't uh, answer simple questions like, how many people do you have here? How much did you spend? What did you spend it on? Simple stuff like that. Well, the Pentagon's never been audited. 
And I mean, going all the way back to, to the creation of the Pentagon, the modern day Pentagon, you know, around the time of World War II, never been audited. And uh, but I always thought that the number that they couldn't account for was two trillion, not twenty nine trillion. That's breathtaking. I'm going to have to dig into that, Steve. Thank you for the heads up. Look it up. Uh, Thanks, I'll, I'll see what I can find and, and we'll talk about it later on when I've got the, uh, the detailed information. Thank you, Rick in Portland, Oregon. Hey, Rick, what's on your mind today? Well, hi, Tom. I've been a long time listener. I really appreciate what you're doing. Matt. Thank you. You touched a little bit on something uh, with Jack Kennedy and uh, dealings with the mafia and how that might have led to his assassination. Yeah. And I just kind of see a little correlation there with what's going on with Trump right now in election campaigns. I'm kind of wondering if I'm imagining things with uh, uh, American mafia maybe marrying up with the Russian oligarch mafia and uh, sprinkling in a little Nazi uh, points of view and a takeover of our, of our country. And I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. Well, increasingly, uh, you know, over roughly the last 40 years, the, the classic La Cosa Nostra American Italian mafia has, has died. Uh, it's, a, it's a tiny shell of what it was. And it's been replaced in large part by a business mafia, by, by corporate, by people using corporations. And, and using great wealth to, to accomplish what the mob did, you know, you know, running the loan sharking mm -hmm. business. It's now called payday lending. Uh, you know, uh, uh, human trafficking is, is, is a little more underground. It's not, you know, it's not uh, as, as visible. But, but many areas that wet the weapons business, you know, it's, uh, I mean, yeah. it's just you know, loan sharking. Gambling has now become state enterprises. And so what you're seeing is that the, the classic businesses of the mob have just been, you know, quote, made legitimate, but it's not really legitimate. Uh, with regard to foreigners, uh, yeah, there's a mob or the equivalent of a mafia in every country. And apparently Michael Cohen was uh, deeply in bed with some of these folks as well back in his taxi days. Although time will tell. I mean, we'll see what comes out of this. Rick, thanks a lot for the call. It's been a fascinating day. We'll be back tomorrow for another one. In the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport, as both Barack Obama and Bernie Sanders regularly said. You got to get active. You got to participate. So get out there, get active, tag. You're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.